My name is Virginia. Robert. Haley. Hi, my name is Talinda. My name is David. It's Jackie. It's Rich. I'm Dr. Jennifer Ashton. I'm Melissa, and I lost my father to suicide. Suicide has touched my life. Suicide has completely turned my world upside down. Trauma and loss doesn't discriminate. No matter how influential you are or how many resources you have, we can all be impacted by loss, grief, and having to find the grit to really dig in and move on with life. My guests today are two of the most successful and recognizable women in America, and they've both suffered too. Cheryl Sandberg is the chief operating officer of Facebook. Cheryl had to lean in and find her own option B after her husband and the father of their two young children died suddenly while on a treadmill while on a family vacation. And Robin Roberts, the anchor of Good Morning America. As many of you know, five years ago, I... I beat breast cancer, and I've always been a fighter. And you, your, your love, your support, your prayers helped me win that fight, and that's something I will never, ever forget. Now, sometimes treatment for cancer can lead to other serious medical issues, and that's what I'm facing right now. Robin is such an inspiration to so many people. She's a cancer survivor and points out, everybody's got something. Up first... GMA anchor, Robin Roberts. You and I have been um, work colleagues and friends for over seven years now. Yes, we have. Which I can't believe. Um, I have had a front row seat for your life-threatening medical battles. And you've been a big help, Jen. Thank you, Robin. But it's been ironic because I've told you many times that watching you go through that helped me after Rob's suicide. And that's really what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, because, because everybody's got something. Yours right. was going through seeing someone take their own life like Rob did. Right. My health was taken from me. Right. Everybody's got something. And, and that is why it is so important to uh, success leaves clues. Like, uh, yes, I thank the good Lord that I was successful in getting through my something and that you can glean something from it as I glean from others who went through their something and shared. And that's why yep. it's so important to, to have these discussions. So I want to take our listeners back um, it, through history because, again, if if they're not familiar with your health struggles, you were diagnosed with breast cancer in June of 2007. Right. Um, and you were public with that battle because I think, again, anyone who knows your work um, as a really legendary broadcast journalist knows that you really epitomize that saying of um, – I'll probably misquote it – but to those whom much is given, much is expected. expected. And so you you brought awareness to breast cancer, which was huge. It was uh, everything was such a progression with me and why I did that. That was two thousand and seven. Uh, two thousand and four, my father passed away, Colonel Lawrence E. Roberts, a Tuskegee Airman, and I had shared with the viewers my father. And when he passed, I shared that, and, and people helped me get through it. Two thousand and five, Hurricane Katrina. And I had just been recently named a third co-anchor with Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson. And I'm there in my beloved Gulf Coast. Hurricane Katrina blows through. I cry on live television. 
And I thought, Jen, that's it. I'm going to get fired. Nobody, again, this is 2005. No one shows that kind of emotion. Just the opposite happened. People were like, oh my gosh, that's, she's actually real. And it was, I'm so grateful that I took notice of that. And I said, oh, I, I get to be who I am. I don't have to be uh, Ted Baxter, you know, like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 here, here's the news, people. And, and so when I was diagnosed in 2007, I took a deep breath and I said, okay, I can do this. Um, nobody wants to share. I don't care. You know, it's, it's, and, and let me, let me say this too. There's so many people who've had cancer who haven't shared, who've had somebody commit suicide, haven't shared that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Totally. You, it, it's, it's a personal choice. And for me, it was, I have been given a platform. Um, I have a mother and father who have, oh my gosh, have shown me the way of being uh, leaders in the community. And um, so it was just, it was a natural for me in the end, though I did hesitate in the beginning because with like with anything, what you went through, what I went through, when anybody goes through, there's something, are people going to look at me differently? Mm. Are they going to think of me differently? Am I going to seem weak? All those things, even though I knew that wasn't me, you, you know, of course, it, it kind of creeps into that your vulnerability. Mind. That vulnerability, especially when you have this persona, uh, you're a former two sport Division One athlete. Mm, thank you, tennis and, tennis basketball. and basketball. I think people only think of you with basketball, but tennis. I mean that that gives me chills because I mean you have to be super talented to be a, a elite athlete in one sport. Oh, thank you. You killed it in two sports. And the former bowling champion at age 12. Come on, don't get That I did not know. Do not diss me. I was a bowling champion, state bowling champion. I I bowl with gutters up, Robin. I just want to let you know. The gutter guards? Yeah, the gutter Uh, guards. uh, So remind uh, me not to invite you to my next um, birthday bowling party. Noted. Duly noted. Um, So I want to fast forward now. 2007 was your breast cancer diagnosis. Five years after that, it was right after I came to ABC, 2012, diagnosed with MDS. Before we talk about how you handled that publicly, I'm really most fascinated by how you handled it privately. Did you say, why me? How am I going to survive this? What am I going to draw on to get through this? I didn't say, why me? I used some choice curse words. (laughs) I was angry. I felt like, hey, wait a minute. I went through my something. I shared. I got, you know, let people know about early detection can help you, you know, can be the key. I, I, I found my message. I made my mess my message. What's this? What's myelodysplastic syndrome? I never heard. See, even now I still have anger right. in, in thinking about it. And I had told my loved ones after going through the red devil uh, chemotherapy that just, oh, that I was not going to put myself through this again. And because I was told that the treatment that was available to me possibly could be available to me, that I I just didn't want to, I didn't want to survive. I wanted to thrive. I I wanted my life back. And my doctor, Dr. Sergio Giralt and Dr. Gail Robos assured me, we're going to give you your life back. And then I changed my mindset because what we go through is as much mental as it is physical. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was... I was never, I would never wish it on anyone. So it wasn't like, why didn't this happen to someone else? Or, and, and it wasn't like, why did this happen to me? It was just, why again? Why am I having to go through this again? But I, I had that initial feeling. 
And then you just want to live. Right. You just want to live. You know, you can you can make all these promises to yourself. I'm not going to do this again. And then when you're told you have a year or two to live unless you have a successful bone marrow transplant and not ever having heard what that was and not knowing if I would have a donor and then finding out my sister. Sally Ann. Yeah. But then, Jen, I didn't realize I was so ignorant that I'm like, sure, she'd be a match. Well, that only happens 30 percent of the time that a family member is a match. You need someone off the registry 70 percent of the like I'm preaching to you. No, like, you, but, like, you but, don't know this. Yeah, of course, but, you know, but you need that. So the fact that I was able to find because my other two siblings weren't even close and Sally Ann was. So I am just so grateful that, again, it is a privilege to be a messenger. And I feel that I am being used to be a messenger. And for this one, it was about being a donor, being on the registry letting people be aware of these kind of complications that come after treatment. But if you noticed, and you were very good about this too, I didn't want to make a big deal that it was a, um, it's, it was a, it's so rare what happened to me because of my treatment that it led to this second right. condition. And the last thing I would ever want to do, and that's sometimes why you hesitate being vocal. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to prevent somebody from receiving treatment for fear that something could happen right. to them like that. Right. You have to take it one step at a time. One battle at a time. So I want to connect the dots for our listeners because people are hearing about your health struggles. And your, um, by the way, your your mama's saying, make your mess your, make message. your mess. your message. How many times have I quoted her? <laughs> so it keeps her spirit yeah, and her impact I miss her, yeah. is still, I mean, she's still with you. I never had the privilege of meeting her, but that line... Mm connects me with her. Um, but I guess I took it to heart or I'm trying to take it to heart with this, uh, with my book, Life After Suicide, with this podcast. But this is why I thought of you as such an important guest on this podcast, Robin, is that for for viewers who don't watch Good Morning America, for listeners who don't watch Good Morning America, you and I see each other almost every day at mm-hmm. work. And after seven plus years now, we are work colleagues and friends, but there's a connection that people who don't know the world of television may not be able to see when they watch us on television, Correct. right? Right. Um, I think that connection is incredibly powerful and profound because, you know, once we have our microphones on and we're sitting, I'm sitting next to you and you're running a show for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there's control room talking to you in your ear and you're have a lot of balls in the air and you're thinking of your next segment and and our segment and so many things that you have to do. It's incredible. But we'll have maybe five seconds to kind of interact personally, but of course being listened to by, I don't know, 20, 30, how many people, right? So it's never really private. Right. But as I sat next to you, when I came back to work after Rob's suicide, there was nothing that you needed to say to me. I literally got strength and inspiration from sitting next to you and knowing what you had been through. Mm. And I want to thank you for that, Robin, because I can't overstate how powerful you were in helping me get back to life. Um, So I I, I wanted to hear from your perspective, Mm. how bad did I look? What that was like? Did you do it consciously? Did you do it um, intentionally? Because whatever you did, it it really made a huge difference for me, Ron. Well, you're, you're so you're. I just love you, Jen. And Chloe, mutual, yeah, I, it, mutual. It just, 
Um, it wasn't anything I consciously. It's a, it, it's when people have gone through trauma, we have a connection. Yeah, yeah. We just we just do I, whatever the trauma is, whether it's cancer, whether it's suicide, whatever whatever it is, you just feel that. And I remember when I first heard what happened, and I immediately went into prayer for you. Mm. Didn't didn't call you. Didn't just immediately immediately went into prayer because knowing. Um, you as well as I do, <clears throat> and what you must have been going through with your children. And then when you came back to work, and I know how vulnerable, boy, that is, whew, that yep. first day back. You know that well, oh, right? gosh. And you came back with no hair. <laughs> that takes some real strength. But I just wanted you, there was nothing to say. It was just wanting to look at you. And also to acknowledge to our audience and just simply say, we're thinking of you. I just wanted, I just wanted you to know that, wanted the audience to know that, yeah, we know something happened. We don't have to go, we don't have to go into it right now. Yeah. And I knew when you were ready, when you were ready, but only you knew. And I'm so proud of you to come back as you did. To not shy away from it. You know, different things were being said. You know, we're in the public's eye. And you held your head up high. Um, You did it for your beautiful daughter and son. But also, as a physician, you guys are just a different breed, y'all. No, you all are. You just, you've always, you've always cared about other people, your patients, your colleagues. And I think... I'm just so grateful, and you really also gave others a lesson. You allowed me to hug you. You allowed me in. You allowed. You didn't stiff arm. You didn't. You didn't try and put on. No, I'm Dr. Jen Ashton. I've got this. You allowed yourself to be vulnerable. You let me see that. So you t- thank you, Robin. I mean, I I remember that first day back like it was yesterday. Oof. I knew I was in the best hands and I knew that you could understand because of your health struggles what I felt like that day. And you talk about vulnerability and that's what I I, I want to hear from you on now is, you know, people look at your life and they think perfect, perfect <laughs> life, perfect life, successful careers, mm. anything she does turns to gold. The reality, it doesn't look like that, right? Oh, not anything but. And that's what often when I talk, especially when I go to, around to schools and talk to young people, because they in particular think, oh, they look at Jen Ashton, they look at Robin Roberts, they look at Michael Strahan, George Stephanow, all the, the list goes on and on. You have not had a worry in the world. You have, you know, things have always come easy for you, blah, 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 blah. And I just look at them and just go, are you kidding me? You know, right. no, no, that's not, that's not the case at all. And people... Really, and I, and I think that's what's so why it's so important to um, to show our valleys as well as our peaks, and mm-hmm. and and to share that. People don't if they always feel like you're on the top of the mountain. They want they want to know um, that you're in the valley, like that, mm-hmm. just like them. And because um, I was comfortable in sharing that, but it just always I can't I I, I want to always I I want to feel I'm a reflection for people. When they, and by this I mean when they're saying to me, oh, you're so strong, you're so resilient, you're so this, you're so that. And I look at them and I'm, and I'm like, you are too. Yeah. You are too. I'm no different. I am no different than anyone else who's gone through anything 
Um, we yes, we all have different ways of, of handling it, but I just I I did not know this was within me. I didn't know I had this kind of of strength. Um, I think about my mother and father every single day. I miss them. Um, I miss so much of what you know what my being robbed from my because because of my health. And I never thought I could have the happiness that I have on this very day. And that's what I want to sh- tell people yes. also that it, you can, it can, it takes courage to believe that the best is yet to come. Where did you get that courage, Robin? If you were to say, was it um, as as a athlete, as a broadcaster, as a woman of faith, as a combination? What? Where did you get that courage and strength? Because I feel the exact same way you did. I didn't know right. I had this strength in me. Yeah, isn't that? It's. I. I would love to have found it a different way. I wish you know, like if I, I would love to have discovered it in a different way. But this was the way I discovered it. This was the way it was meant for me to find this strength that I that I didn't have. And I, I never. Um, where does it come from? It's a combination of things. You know, my again, my mother and father came from such humble, humble beginnings. The way they raised their four children. I'm the baby. Um, the example that I had from my older siblings, um, from my mother and from my father, and uh, I often say this, and I know people have heard it, and I'm sorry, uh, repetition is a mother mm-hmm. skill, um, the three Ds. I learned this from my family, my mother and father in particular, about being disciplined and to discipline myself so s- someone else doesn't have to discipline me. Think about that. If you discipline yourself, then someone else doesn't have to. And Pat Summon also talked about that, mm-hmm. a mentor of mine. Uh, determination. I and that comes from sports. I mean, I can encourage you, but if you don't have it, so to have the discipline, the determination, and the third D, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So those three D's for me, really, um, when anything comes my way, and it's it's isn't this a great feeling, Jen? Let me, and I, I'm not getting cocky at all. Bring it. Mm-hmm. What you got? It's like I, you know, I I don't feel there's there's not anything I cannot um, weather that I cannot get through that I cannot, and I, I'm not wishing it on. I'm not sure. believe me. I don't sure, want. Sure. I've had I've had enough. But there is something empowering about knowing, man, I I, I got this. I've got people around me who are going to help me through it. I have this inner strength I didn't know existed, um, and it, it's just it's just it's freeing to to feel that way. Was it hard for you, Robin? I remember a day in particular where you actually left the broadcast mid-broadcast because you weren't feeling well. Do you mm, remember? I do. Um, was it hard to come back when you talk about the appearance of perfection and how, you know, I learned this personally, you learned it personally. You know, people think your life is one way. Right. And they're not used to seeing you come back with no hair or looking mm-hmm, thin mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. saying, I don't feel well, actually, I'm not going to be on the second hour today. Was that scary to you? That was scary to me. And that made me question, did I, did I come back too soon? Um, um, I, I, it, again, you don't ever want to, even though we're talking about vulnerability, still a moment like that, there was no hiding it. Right. Uh, there was this, you know, even the first time when I had um, breast cancer and I lost my hair, I wore a wig for a while. Mm-hmm. The second time, I just went bald. Because the first, well, time, by the way, you have a very nice shaped thank, head. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you much. You're yeah, welcome. Yes, I do. Thank I mean that. You. I know. <laughs> but the first time, because I 
I wanted to put you at ease. I wanted to put other people at ease. It wasn't so much about me, but I wanted, uh, you know, people can't see a bald woman on television de- delivering the news. The second go around, I was like, you got, yeah, no, this is, <laughs> this, this is, is it. this is it. But when I had to, when I could not continue with the show that particular day, I felt in a sense defeated a little bit. But just the op- again, the opposite happened. People, they knew it was very apparent that I was there and then I wasn't there. And they appreciated that I allowed myself to to be vulnerable like that. To to mm-hmm. to I could have gutted it out. I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. But what 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 you know, what? So I would have passed out on the air? What what <laughs> what good would that have done? Um so it was still kind of like there's no rule book. I was just trying to figure it out the best way that I could and that's that's what we all do. We just try. There's there's no handbook that's given to us to tell us how to get through a suicide, how to get through a bone marrow transplant, how to get through divorce, how to get through unemployment. I mean, there's just no handbook. You just try and figure out what's best for you. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. When you talk about uh, thriving and not just surviving, and you've got mm-hmm. your um, Thriver Thursday, yeah. So we're bringing it back for a second season. We oh, just I loved we haven't it. even. I we, loved it. We have. I'm announcing Coming. it here in the podcast. So, yeah, breaking news. Breaking news. No, Are we we're allowed very, to do that? We're very, <laughs> but we're very excited about That's Thriver amazing. Thursday. That is, and again, it was something that I heard your voice in my mind. You know, don't just be a survivor, be a thriver. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I think when you go through what you've gone through medically, what I've gone through with Rob's suicide, it's not just a medical health battle or suicide. You're very connected with your community in the South and yes. in Mississippi. And yes. there are a lot of people down there who have been faced with unbelievable grief and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Can you share things that you might have learned from them and how they've inspired you? Mm. Boy, I we moved to Daddy was in the Air Force. We bounced around a lot. We moved to the Mississippi Gulf Coast in 1969, right before Hurricane Camille, which before Katrina was the worst storm ever. So at I was like eight, nine years old, and I don't know what a hurricane is, and I see things just wiped away. Um, I go to school. And the teachers and the custodian and the janitor and all, they're I, – I just couldn't get over how they were making us, the, the, the children, feel normal again. They just wanted mm-hmm. us to be as feel as normal as we could after such a disaster. And that, that really stayed with me at a young age like, oh, my gosh, they – I know that this guy, he just lost his home. I know he doesn't have a home to go back to, but yet he's here doing his job and wants to make sure that we're okay so there is something about the South. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm biased. I'll, I'll just go ahead in a mm-hmm. minute. Um, I was 
born in Alabama, reared in Mississippi, went to college in Louisiana. I've worked in Nashville and Atlanta. Wait, uh, I feel like that's in Beyonce's song. Did she get that from you? you I'm telling Robin? You, I'm telling you. No, she. I, I'm not going to blame, you know. You know You're not going to no, say she, that you inspired her. I, I think know, you inspired I her. But, but I am truly a Southerner. And there is something about family, faith, and friends that is just ingrained in us. Okay, this and is I grew it, up in that. I grew up in that environment. I saw that on a day in and a day out basis, and it really stayed with me. This is how it's cosmically connected you and I are. You talked about the three Ds. Now you just mentioned the three Fs. And I swear, on a stack of Bibles, I was going to ask you about friends mm. um, in that because I felt such a powerful force of positivity in my healing and recovery uh, after Rob's suicide from my work friends who are really my work family. And I know you felt that. I call them frolics, friends and colleagues, frolics. I love that. Sorry. Yeah, that's perfect. I know you felt that from the millions of viewers who reached out to you Mm -hmm. and said, I'm praying Mm -hmm. for you. And, And when you would say, oh, I feel your prayers, before I went through this, I did not know what right? that meant. I, that's real. I know. I know. I'm so glad I, you haven't shared this with me. I didn't know that you – that when I – and it, it <laughs> when people from all walks of life and from different faiths mm-hmm. are lifting you up, I remember when I didn't share about my breast cancer diagnosis. And then I went on the air with Diane Sawyer and I admitted that I had – not admitted. I just revealed that – because I was about to begin treatment and all that. And so it was the first time that I publicly said, my family and friends, everybody knew, but publicly said um, that I had breast cancer. That night was the first night I slept like a baby because mm. I felt those prayers being said. I felt this, this, this weight being lifted off of me. There is this wonderful, wonderful community out there of people who have walked the journey before us and it's almost like their way of saying, oh, this, okay, gosh, right. this is this is my way of making what happened to me have purpose and meaning. Yeah, and that purpose is so important. And I think when people watched you literally claw your way through it. You, you know, Jen? That's a wow. What, the, the moment I really, really, really felt that was, oof. Mm. My sister's a match. I'm all set to go with the transplant. My mother has a stroke. She's she's getting better. Everything's going to be fine. My sister's stem cells are collected. We have the date for this transplant that I'm going to do. And in the 11th hour, we get a call from my sister. You need to come home. Mom is not, not doing well. Sally and I rush home because Sally and her husband were with, with me and with Amber in New York preparing for my transplant. We rush home. Thankfully, we get home in time. The doctor is there and saying, hey, your mother, there's no telling. She's been through this before. She could last. Who knows? And I said, I am not going to go through the transplant unless, you know, because I, because I knew that once I did, I would be in isolation. And if I'm in quarantine and my mother passes and I can't be there, I couldn't live with that. So I was like, so I said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Everybody leaves the house. My mother seems to be doing better. I'm there with a caregiver. And um, I was exhausted from being up all morning. And I was going to go to bed. And she goes, you know, why don't, you know, sometimes your mother is lucid during the night. Why don't you stay down here for a little bit? And then she's relaying things that only my mother 
could have shared with this young woman. Um, and my mother was having difficulty communicating because of the stroke. So I said, okay, I'll stay here. So I, I stayed there with the woman, and uh, my mother is in her bed, and um, we're sharing stories. And the young woman says, I, your mother doesn't know if she really did enough for you and, and your your brother and sisters as a mother. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I went through on and on and on and on and talking about all these great things about my mother. No, she didn't have cookies waiting for us, but, you know, she was a great <laughs> mom. And it's um, and at that moment, she my mom took her last breath. I didn't know this was going to happen, and I ran up to her, and um, and it's something when she was there when I took my first breath, and I was there when she took her last. I was at the, I was on the mat. I was just like that's that's, and I and I know people when they heard that story, they were they were kind of looking just like the eight count. Is she going to get up off the mat this time? You know, we've seen her go through everything, but this is this is rock core. And because it was a standing eight count, but I got up off the mat, leaned against the rope. Sorry about the sports analogies, people. But that's but I was and I was my my knees were, were weak and everything, but I got back up. And it was that moment that people just what you were saying earlier, they're like, wow, OK, OK, OK. Um, I really thought she was out, but she got back up. You know what? I think I can get through my something. I can get through yeah. this divorce I'm going through, going through whatever it is that someone's going through. So, Robin, I, I, first of all, thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. with me because, you know, I think our listeners, when they hear such a powerful and personal story like that, um, and I really believe, by the way, as you know, I'm an OBGYN, so I've had the privilege of bringing about 1,500 lives into know, the world. I but well. I always say it is just as much of a privilege to be with someone when they leave the world. Amen. So for you to have that time and that memory and that special connection with your mom, which so many people aren't fortunate enough to have with their parents, but it made me think that when you were down for the eight count – was it your parents' memory that, or was who who was it that you said I have to fight? Because for me, it was my kids. For yeah. me, when I was down there, I thought I have two children, Alex and Chloe, who were seventeen mm-hmm. and eighteen when Rob died, and I thought I can't they, believe that I can't either. And I thought, dear God, these beautiful, sweet children just lost their father. They can't now lose their mother. They can't mm. see a mom who decompensates or disintegrates. Right. Or And so for me, that's what made me get up. Was there someone or some people for you? I don't know how to explain this. The blessings that I have right now were said for me generations ago. Okay. I had, I had people I never even met from my family who wanted this their family, where we are right now, knowing the sacrifices that they went through, knowing everything that they put on hold, what they, um, the sacrifices that they made. They made, they made sacrifices generations ago for this generation of the Roberts family. That's what got me up off the mat, knowing that what they went through and what they wanted for their ancestors and I could see them uh, swinging their legs from the heavenly balcony going like, you know, one, two, three, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, get up, girl, get up, get up. And I really felt that way. I really, 
I felt my mother and father, and even before that, it's just it's just a generational blessing, and I was not going to let their work go for naught, let their sacrifices go for naught. Nope, nope. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that isn't that you are pro- just killing me I'm today? A- I mean, come on, Jen. Oh, all right. Well, listen, we we have to we have to turn this around. Would you please? Okay, because I have I have a funny side too. I- <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, that I know. I know. I'm very That funny. I know. But I feel like people listening to this are going to get so much from it because this is the difference. And and as I, I've said to you, people hear life after suicide. Suicide's like, mm. it's like cancer, right? Yeah. Ooh, cancer. Mm. The w- emphasis is on the word life. Absolutely. My mother said this after my father died. We're going to choose to have happy sorrow. That is a choice, happy sorrow, that, yes, we're devastated. Um, We're going to remember the good that your father brought into this world, into this family. Um, And I just remember her knowing that, you know, this is a man that she had been with for 60 years who was her college sweetheart and um, all of that. And for her to say to us, you know, happy sorrow. And I remember thinking, that's that's happened happy and sorrow be put together. And she explained it, and it's like, yes, I am going to be, I'm going to be in sorrow for my father for his passing, but I can have some joy in that. Yeah, and that's something that I have always remembered. And when I see like life after suicide, it's what you're saying. You emphasize the life, the life that you had, and I know with your two, with Alex and with Chloe, that was your reason, but. I, I think you're selling yourself short. You did it also for yourself, Jen. Robin Roberts is just how she seems on TV. Always interested in others. Always caring. Next, after reading my book, Life After Suicide, Cheryl Sandberg invited me to visit her in her office at the Facebook headquarters in Menlo Park, California last week. She wanted to hear from me lessons that I learned about resilience and living after grief. Here is our conversation. As I understand the story, after Kate Spade's suicide, ABC asked you to speak about suicide, not in your usual role right. as a medical correspondent, but as someone who has coped with that loss. Yeah. And you sat down with your two children, and you guys decided together that you would speak out. That is a very big decision. Yeah. What led you to make that decision? Well, they, um, as any parent knows, when your kids come to you and say, Mom, we think you should do this, or can we do this, or can you do it? Usually we find a way to get it done. And this was no different. I was actually getting on a flight from New York to L.A. uh, to come here to speak, and my kids were with me. They had just recently finished school, and I got the call from ABC. Um, It was the day that Kate Spade's suicide uh, hit the news. It was a Tuesday. And they asked me if I would feel comfortable speaking about my experience with suicide the next morning on GMA. And I said... Not a lot of notice there. No. Well, yeah. that's the norm yeah. <laughs> um, in the breaking news world. But I said, I have to check with my kids um, who are were then 18 and 19. And I was on some level, actually hoping that they would say, please don't, let's keep it private. But in keeping with the kind of people that they are and the like the spirit that they have, um, 
they said, Mom, you have to talk about this. And I said, but I'm not the only one who's going through this. Who's going to care what I say? And they said, you have a platform and it's your responsibility to use that voice. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Brave kids, amazing kids. So after you did this, you had an outpouring of messages and personal stories from all over the world. And that led you to write this incredible right. book. I posted publicly after Dave's. That's not really, I know this sounds dumb because I do work at Facebook, but not exactly <laughs> realizing it was public, just trying to kind right. of speak to the people around me. Um, and I had a very similar experience that people who I never knew who were strangers had had more similar experiences yeah. to me than even people I felt so close to. Um, and part of your journey, you talk about finding a community after sharing your story. So how did you make the decision then to write the book, and how has that community come together? The community part, Cheryl, is the part that's been the most surprising to me because as a doctor and as someone who's had suicide hit their family like 47,000 Americans a year. Um, I You can God, feel it's, it's, it's a big number. It's a, that's the it's a deaths by suicide. And then it's, it's estimated that for every death by suicide, 135 people are directly affected. Right, so that's course. over 6 million people a year. Yeah. And when you're one of those 6 million people, despite the fact that you know that it's affected other people, you can still feel very solitary and very alone. And I'm sure you've felt that as well. You know, you're not the first woman to lose a spouse. Neither am I, neither is my family. But when you're going through it, it feels very isolated. So when I was asked to write this book, I said there are two conditions. One is because I'm not a mental health expert, I'm a women's health expert, um, and I'm still learning. I want to go forward, not look back. And the other condition is that I don't want this to just be our story, but the story of other suicide survivors. And uh, a lot of those people had reached out to me because Rob's death was a national headline. And I saved their emails and, you know, all of those contacts from those people. And I started to reach out to some of them. And when the book came out, I mean, Cheryl, the response from people was, it just floored me. How many people, you know, said, we know what you're going through. Thank you for helping us. And it w it was almost surreal because... It helped me and my children for us to go through this process of retelling our story, even though it's only been just over two years. But as soon as we realized that telling our story was also helping so many other people, it just was a positive feedback cycle that just kept growing and growing. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, it, it is an incredible gift. So in the book, you share how a therapist helped you realize that not all aspects of your life were blown apart. Um, right. And I talked a lot about the three Ps. If you want to recover yeah, from I tragedy, you know, personalization, it's not, it's not your fault. Um, permanence, you won't feel like this forever, and pervasiveness. And that's mm -hmm. really about pervasiveness. So how do you—it's one of the major lessons of what you've written and what you've done here in, in your podcast. So I think it is hard when something this devastating happens because it does feel like it— it is every aspect of your life, yeah. but your children were still healthy. Things you talk right, about, you still right. had your job, you were able to make ends meet, an experience I had. And 
while you and I have the experience of being single mothers, we are very fortunate single yeah. mothers because becoming a single mother is one of those things that pushes a lot of women into seriously mm-hmm. abject mm-hmm. poverty. So mm-hmm. you have those challenges as well. How how do you advise people to think about pervasiveness, to give themselves permission to say, okay, there are parts of my life that are still okay? I think it was something that I learned with my children when we were in therapy, which after Rob's death, which will always be a part of our lives to some extent, which is that there is most people have heard of post-traumatic stress, but our therapist taught us about post-traumatic, post-traumatic growth. growth. That's right, which is more common, right? But no one's heard of it. Right. That's right, and. Yeah. That's right. It's not to say it's easy. It's not to say it's as simple as saying, well, I'm going to choose column A and the growth side instead of the stress side. But at least for us, it showed us as we were just happened to be living it that we actually could identify things in our lives that were good and going in the right direction, such as a deeper understanding of ourselves, a greater appreciation for life, um, you know, a, a renewed passion for all of us into the things that we want to do, we're doing, um, plan to do. And that, to me, is an incredible concept that I didn't know about, which is I, I just can't even believe I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I didn't even know about that until we found ourselves trying to put the pieces of our lives back together again. And the other part of, I guess, the pervasiveness concept is that things did change, obviously, as I know they did for you and your family. But for me, the way that they changed, and I think for my children, for Alex and Chloe also, is that we realized that the optics of our modern day life, which with everything being so perfect, is not life. And so we became very up close and personal with the concept of saying, I'm not feeling really good today. I'm feeling sad. And then crying in front of people <laughs> and just not hiding anything, not pretending that there was this rosy, you know, glasses on. And that was really freeing. Just that that kind of openness that we could say, you know, I'm feeling sad. Here come the tears. They're out and move on. And so one of my kind of sayings became, if you want to heal, you have to feel. And we started to not be afraid of that. And it's such a big lesson. So you talk a lot about how your children were a source of courage and comfort for you. Um, I was amazed by mine. You know, you yours sound incredible. What a big decision to help you make, even if you kind of wanted to hear no. As you <laughs> yeah. said, um, what have you learned about resilience from watching theirs? You know, well, first, I mean, I think as a mom, and and I know in reading your book that you went through this also, I think there's just a natural instinct to, you know, you have to keep your head above water because you are your children are looking to you to keep their world centered when it's just been completely thrown off kilter but what i what i didn't realize is how much that kept my world back on kilter because when i it, it literally was like mirroring you know i was saying to myself i need to keep my stuff together because my kids are looking to me 
to make sure that they can say, like, things will be okay because our mom is still okay. And I was looking back at them saying, if my kids are okay, I'm okay. And so, again, it was just this other positive feedback loop, um, which I think helped all of us. And I think in terms of resilience, you know, and I know this as a doctor, kids are actually way more resilient than we are. You know, you see that in children who are battling cancer or, you know, any number of horrendous things physically or emotionally. And so my kids have taught me. I mean, I think, like, that's part of being a parent, right? I mean, we learn from our kids, um, I think, more than we teach them. Absolutely. So, you know, we've, we just were talking about tough days, about yeah. Yeah, your mm-hmm, daughter's yeah. graduation, my son's graduation, um, Father's Day. See, it's just really hard. It's like the whole world is celebrating yeah. something. Right. And you realize that the whole world never was. Right. You just think about it yeah. in a different way. So what is your advice? Because you, you're right. There are so many people out there who have lived through the kind of tragedy we have, but then even more. Like, what is your advice to people out there who know there's a tough day coming up? How do they get through it? Well, I dreaded Chloe's graduation from high school. I, in some ways, had been dreading that day for her and for me. And she, you know, seemed to never be happier. And I told what her— What an amazing I, lesson, yeah, right? I, right. Because you I look mean, forward, you think this is going to be a yeah, disaster, and yes, then it's not. Yes. And maybe that's the message for— I think that it is— It will not be as bad as you think, and or don't, maybe it And won't don't be. project it. Don't color it with your preconceived— right. And she was amazing. And when we were leaving her graduation um, and driving to lunch— I was in the car with my son, and he said that that Chloe had said to him, I can't believe Dad's not going to be here. And my son's answer to her was, well, think about the people who are here. Wow. And it's not to take anything away from that giant void of her father not being there, but I think it does shift the perspective a little to – you know, again, not looking back, look, staying in the present, looking at the people who are sitting with you, not the people who aren't there for whatever reason. And I think it's the best way to actually honor that person's spirit because I I really believe that's what her father would have wanted. And we Absolutely. all felt his presence there, but she... Um, she was really able to do that, which was amazing. So one of the things, Adam Grant, when I co-wrote my book with, he said something, I think, very, he says smart things all the time, yeah. but he said something particularly smart, even for Adam, which is every bookstore has a huge help, self-help section, yeah. but there's no help others section. Right. And I think your book certainly does that. I mean, you talk in the book about your friend Carol and how she went with you to the funeral home to make arrangements, and she didn't say, would you like me to, yeah. it was to like come with you? It was like, story. I will take you. So... It's a pretty big difference. What is your advice for to tell people how to help others? You know, because we go through our day and we are all sitting next to people who are going through cancer treatment, who right. have just lost loved ones, who, you Stressed, know. Stressed, anything. Correct. Right. I think that the first thing is to say, what can I do for you instead of, do you need anything? That's right. You know, or it's very I'm going to do this. Right, right. It's similar to your hamburger story. Right. Um, and right. so I think that that's really important. And then I think that depending on the situation, I, you know, what helped me was 
seemingly so small. I mean, yeah, there were big examples, you know, like Carol coming to the funeral home with me or the person who helped me send two of my three dogs to to a different state. You know, that was those were big. But there were little things that were very impactful just texting me months or weeks later saying, I'm thinking about you. Not a question that I had to answer, <laughs> but just I'm thinking of you. Um, that I have actually learned from those friends and emulated with other people. And, and then lastly, you know, I think so many people don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. So they say nothing at all. But you don't have to say anything. You know, just when, let w- them know. Just, just be there with them. Just, yeah. just sit with them. Say, you know what, I'm going to come over for a little while. I'm not going to stay that long, but I'm just going to sit with you. Thank you for supporting Life After Suicide. Next week, my guests include Vic Strecker. As the sun came up, I felt my daughter Julia in me. I felt like she was right dead in me. Alive in me, I should say. And she said, Dad, you have to get over this. After his daughter died from a rare heart condition, he went on a search for purpose in life, and he'll talk about what he found. And Dan Harris and I will talk about how life may never be perfect again, but it certainly can get better. More of the good and less of the bad. It just means that you're going to deal with whatever happens better. I want to thank the Life After Suicide team that helps put this podcast together. Eric Strauss, Ann Reynolds, Tara Gimble, Trevor Hastings, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kalb, and everyone at ABC News who's been so supportive of Life After Suicide. Thanks for taking this journey with us. We'll see you back here next week on Life After Suicide. Please remember you're not alone. The Prevention Hotline is open 24-7 and it's free. Just dial 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. Trained counselors are available to talk to anyone who needs help.